Andre, are you there? Can you can you hear us? Hi, Brian. Yeah. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. So, um, thanks for joining us, Andre. They, so, just to give a, a, a folks a a little bit of background. So, Andre, how, I, you and I and Adam all know one another through this group of of CTOs in San Francisco, which sounds like it just ridiculously clubby. Um, and it, in fact, <laughs> it is called CTO Club, which a name that I do not necessarily love. Um, but it's a great group of folks. And Andre, how long? I, I feel like I've known you for four or five years to that. I'm not sure how long it's been. I think it was about maybe three years. Three years ago. Okay. So, yeah. And so I, you know, I get to this kind of this group gets together once a month. And um, I always actually prefer the sessions where we don't have a guest speaker, where it's just folks um, get, talking about things they've learned or challenges that they have. And, and I, Andre, I've got, you know, if you and I have got a very similar approach on a lot of things. And then I, um, but, you know, other outside of this kind of group, you know, we haven't spent a huge amount of time together. And then I, this, this past, um, this kind of past meeting, um, you were of course presenting on what's happening in your native Ukraine. And I'm like, Oh my God, of course I, I, I just hadn't, I felt like an idiot for having kind of not asked the obvious question. Um, but, um, you are, you are Ukrainian and, um, this has been, um, I mean, it's been heartbreaking for everyone, but must just be absolutely gutting, um, for, and obviously with many, many connections. So thank you, first of all, for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. And I wondered if we could just like start from the beginning a little bit and talk about how you grew up and, and how you how you discovered computers, how you got into technology. Um, and maybe we can take it from there. Well, uh, Brian, I just, I, first of all, I want to say thank you for inviting me and uh, sort of giving me an opportunity to talk uh, in front of this group. And I see there's a lot of people joining. Uh, so this is, uh, this is pretty cool uh, to be able to talk more about Ukraine and what is going on in, um, in, in Ukraine. Um, in terms of, um, so let me, let me share some of, some of my background here. I was born in Ukraine. Um, I was there for the first 18 years of my life when I was 18. I packed up and I moved to New York. Um, and in New York, I uh, actually uh, uh, I completed my education in uh, Brooklyn College, which is City University of New York, um, on computer science. Um, and sort of that started my career in computers, the, uh, or, or rather computer software, I should say. Uh, I'm talking to a lot of, uh, it's, I, I need to, uh, I need to reground myself because I'm talking to a lot of people who are not software engineers. Um, and, and I'm just, <laughs> in general, I'm saying I'm in computers and, and that sort of covers it. Um, so uh, the way that, that I got into, into, into software engineering is, um, when I was, I forgot, like I wasn't like, it's like high school. Um, I went to my mom's office and I saw a computer that was like a real, I think it was like an XT or AT286 at that point. And what 
And, and so, uh, Andre, if I could just ask for context. Yeah. So what year are we talking about here? Because, I, you know, I've always, you and I are, think of the similar vintage, but I actually don't know that uh, for a fact. Uh, okay, let me see. Um, that's a good question. I mean, it's... 92, I want to say. 92, okay. So, so this is just... And 89 is obviously wall comes down and Warsaw Pact collapses. The, you, when does Ukraine... Ukraine gets its independence in 89? I, with my apologies for the ignorance. I, or 90, I guess. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be similarly as ignorant. When, I, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm, <laughs> when I'm better. looking back at my life, like, all, like the year, like it's, it's impossible for me to remember all the years, but this is roughly the time frame. Yes. When Soviet okay. Union okay. collapsed, um, and then and Andre, when that happened, did did the kinds of technology that you then saw change significantly, or were you kind of you know is it hard to distinguish that from just like becoming more aware as like a teenager and young adult? So at that point, I, I think I was still too young to sort of recognize that. Um, I was so I, I was in school, so it's an equivalent of middle school, I guess. Uh, at that point, um, it's, you know, as, as kids, I, I don't think we are recognizing things for what they are. Uh, truly, we just, you know, we see our parents, we may see some struggle, but it's just normal life for us. Um, and we're taking it as is. We don't know any difference. We don't know anything different. Um so uh, at that point, I was too young. Now, I think with, once, the, once it collapsed, um, the, we started to see a little bit more of a technology entering sort of uh, uh, former Soviet Union. One of the landmark things that happened that I remember very clearly is we started to get the videotape uh, players. And that was that was a huge deal. All of a sudden, we could have one of those, uh, you know, in an apartment with a TV. We just only had TVs, right? Um, and right. all of a sudden, we could we could have this videotape record, uh, player um, and actually watch, uh, you know, Hollywood movies. That was amazing. Um, prior to that, they were like super expensive. And what people would do is, it's like, it's like movie theaters. People would go somewhere where there would be a TV with the sort of a the video player, and they would get like you know 15 people in the room, and we would watch like a smaller TV, I guess, <laughs> uh, you know, playing some sort of a movie, ridiculously translated, just ridiculously, um, and and that would be a lot of fun. Um, but then at some point. Uh, we were able to sort of more of those video players were getting in. Uh, I, I guess for me at that point, that was more uh, impactful or interesting. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're a teenager. So this is like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, and, and like, again, like, you know, I, I, I'm not sure the exact years, but like Schwarzenegger was like Commando movie, Commandos, Commando, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, some of those, some of those like legendary movies, Rocky, um, were, were hidden in and it, it just, it's, they, they were incredible. Um, so I, I guess back to the, back, back to the computers. Yeah. 
Back to the high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to the office. And I again, I don't remember whether it was IBM XT or whether it was IBM AT 286. Definitely nothing beyond that. It, it's 286 at most. Um, I, I don't know if, uh, if everyone on this call uh, or in this space recognizes what XT and AT286 is. Um, but, uh, you know, if they hang out with us, they've been inflicted. I feel like these, these poor millennials that have heard nothing but about these antiquarian PCs. So don't worry. That, yeah, that yeah, you're among friends. Yeah, <laughs> among friends. Okay. Yeah, this is a safe space. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So uh, I, I, saw, uh, I, I saw one of those like for the first time. And I'm like, the, the thing that got my attention, it was off, right? And the thing that got my attention is that the monitor, and it was one of those, you know, the super old tube, uh, you know, not flat, you know, it was just like, I, I'm not even sure how to describe it, but like huge monitor. The color of the tube was different than the color of the tube on the TV that I had at home. It was a little more grayish. And for whatever reason, that fact stuck in my imagination. Uh, so I turned it on. I, I sort of played with it. I, I knew nothing about it. Uh, and what I saw was Microsoft DOS. And there was like Norton Commander running on it. So that's another <laughs> an yeah. uh, thing that some of us would remember. I, I need like a lighter emoji. Isn't there a lighter emoji here that I can like? Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. And Norton Commander, guys, is uh, for, for those of you who don't know, it's like two panels on the screen, and it's not a graphic screen. It's sort of rendered using characters. Um, and uh, on the left and on the right, two equal, two panels that are, that are the same, and it's like a file system. And you could browse the file system on the left, and you can browse the uh, file system on the right, and then you could copy stuff back and forth between left and right panels. That's what it was. So the whole thing, uh, I, I, got, I got so interested at in what it is. So the next day, I, I got into, I went to a bookstore, and I bought a book on Norton Commander. And then within the next few days, I just, without having the computer, without access to it, it's just, it was in my mom's office, right? I just read the book end to end and I learned everything I could about Northern Commander. And then I asked my mom if I can come in and actually play with it. Um, and and this, is, this, was the, this was the moment that, that my career started essentially, uh, that I you know, got in love with computers, with software. Um, and it all started with the fact that the color of that monitor screen it, when it was turned off, was different from the color of the tube on, on the TV. That's how the whole, that's that's awesome. how the whole yeah. thing yeah. started. <laughs> Such a familiar story. I feel, I mean, I feel like it, it, all of these stories rhyme with one another, right? In terms of like that, I feel that so many of us discovered computing that same way. And, and then and where, did, so where did you grow up? Where did you live in, in Ukraine? So I, I was born, uh, and for, for the entire 18 years, I lived in a city that used to, used to be called Dnipropetrovsk. Uh, it's Dnipro now, a lot shorter, a lot easier to pronounce. Uh, it's actually uh, in the middle of the country, literally. Um, and Ukraine has this interesting um, property, I guess, about it, is that Ukraine historically speaks two languages. 
One of the languages is Russian, other languages is Ukrainian. Um, so as you follow along the river Dnipro, and, and Dnipro, the city, is, is sort of in the middle, historically, starting with Kiev, going into Dnipro, uh, and down into uh, to the south to Odessa, uh, that was the line between sort of uh, eastern and western Ukraine. And eastern Ukraine was Russian-speaking, including where I am from. And then Western Ukraine was Ukrainian speaking. Um, and actually, the closer you got to like other countries like Poland, uh, the, the language uh, sort of the, the more and more Polish-like it sort of became. Um, and historically, also the Western part of Ukraine uh, was under you know, very, very different rule of, of different countries. So there's a lot of history with Austrians, Germans, uh, uh, Polish, and, and, and actually out of the box. So if you, if you guys have an opportunity to go to Lviv, you could, and this is one of the uh, bigger cities uh, in the west of the country, it has, it, it has a lot of that history, which is like sort of really intermixed together and that makes a very unique city uh, and, and interesting to see city uh, in, in Ukraine. So anyway, uh, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean and I, I feel that like I am, I mean, obviously I think like all of us, or like many of us I should say, have been learning a lot about the geography of, of Ukraine and just its size and borders and complexity. And so Dnipro, and this is spelled D, D-N-I-P-R-O. Yes. Is that Correct. right? Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. So it, and and so this is on the border of of I mean this is like right at the confluence of these two cultures. It sounds like that. That's right. Um, yes. And do, do people grow up speaking both Russian and Ukrainian, or what, what was what was it like? I mean, what's the language that you learned in classes, for example, or what what did you what did you speak at so home? So that was interesting because I, I grew up speaking Russian. And I, um, I, I like I, I would I, I can understand and I would understand Ukrainian. Um, I normally I would not speak Ukrainian uh, on a day to day basis. So you know, if you ask me what I speak at home, I speak Russian. Um, what what language I speak at home? Now, uh, at some point, um, when I was. I think that was the last year or whatever, a couple of last years that I was in, in Ukraine. So that was, let me, let me calculate it in my mind, 82, 90, 92. Uh, this was the point where the entire educational system in Ukraine was forcefully shifted uh, to use Ukrainian language. Um, Interesting. And uh, we said that, hey, we're Ukraine and the, the sort of the, how do you say it? Like government official language, uh, whatever the official language of the country is Ukrainian. And everyone has to like learn and speak Ukrainian. And if you go to school, if you go to university, uh, you will be taught in Ukrainian. Um, that was a nightmare for me. Like I was, I was, I was learning math in, like in, in the university, the first course in the university that I started in Ukraine. And all of a sudden one day, the teacher is coming in uh, and she's starting to speak Ukrainian. 
And I'm like, holy shit, like, I don't know those math terms. Oh, man. <laughs> God, and, 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 you know, we, we thought distance learning was hard. I think I'm going to give my kids <laughs> some perspective on, like, hey, at least distance learning is happening in the same language. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Ukrainian was really just sort of your domestic language. Like, how do you navigate around the kitchen, but not to do complex, you know, or technical or mathematical things? Yeah. Well, it sounds like Andre speaking Russian. Were you speaking Russian at home? Or I, I'm speaking oh. Russian, so I've, for my whole life, yeah, right, I've been okay. Russian at home. Um, right. Got it. Yeah. Uh, and but I they shifted the educational system, the this whole learning experience into Ukrainian. Um, but that, they did it a little too late for me. So at that point, I uh, pretty much left. Uh, very, very soon after they did that, I um, when I uh, came to New York. Got it. Okay. And so then you, and then did you come, so you're an 18 year old and did you have family in New York or how did you get from, from Dnipro to, to Brooklyn? Yeah, I had a, I had a few relatives. Uh, I had my grandma uh, here uh, and my uncle. Um, so I went to uh, New York to sort of continue to study. Now my parents just approached me and they said, Hey, Andre, do you want to, do you want to go to New York? And, you know, when you are 18, like, you don't even think about those things. I'm like, hmm, New York. Sounds interesting. Sure. That, that was yeah, it. right. Exactly. That, that, <laughs> right. Uh, that, that was the entire logic that I had to, like, answer that question. <laughs> um, and it was, uh, when, I, when I came to New York, it was very interesting. Like, I knew English. I, like, I could write and read in English. But I never had opportunity to speak or interact with people in English. Right. And unfortunately, they don't speak English in New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a, you know, fair act, Brooklyn accent. <laughs> <in there. laughs> yes. So uh, it took me a while, actually, to uh, like I could express what I wanted. Um, but I, uh, it, it was hard for me to understand what people were telling me. And I would ask them to like, hey, slow down a little bit. Uh, and it took me about like a year to start to fully be fluid and understand the language well. And, and did it, at the time, did it feel like exciting or did it feel like you'd been displaced? I mean, how did it feel? Did it feel like I'm, this, is, this is an exciting next step? Or I mean, did you miss home actually? I missed home, yes. Um, as I, so I went to, as I said, Brooklyn College. Brooklyn College was a pretty good computer science school back then. Actually, I'm not sure what's going on now. Uh, I would imagine it's still pretty good at computer science. Um, um, I, I did not understand the culture. The culture was pretty foreign to me. Hmm. And that was different times. So it's like nowadays people are like flying all over the world meeting people of different cultures and so forth. At, at that point, like my flight to New York was my first flight ever on an airplane. Right. And I was 18. Uh, and I, I had like, the only culture I knew is, you know, by watching, you know, Hollywood movies. Um, so it, it was, it was interesting. Like I would go into like a pizzeria, right? A pizza place. And I'm like, okay, how do I order pizza? And I would look at what people in front of me in the line, how they would ask for a pizza, and I would copy them. And this is how I would order pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I 
uh, yeah, did you get some interesting pizzas that way? You're just like, all right, whatever the hell this is. I guess I'm, gonna, I guess I'm eating anchovies now. I Whatever this is. Yeah, whatever they have, please. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm kind of kidding about it, but I'm, I'm kind of not kidding. It was sort of like a, a, a very interesting discovery uh, for me and, you know, a lot of, a lot of learning of, of new culture, new language. Like all of a sudden, I'm in a completely different world. Very, very different. And are you thinking at this point, I- I'm going to be here for a while and then I'm going to re- return to Ukraine? I mean, was that your, your thinking or what were you? That was always an open question, whether I would stay here or not stay here. Um, but then that question kind of went away over time. Um, and, and I sort of decided to stay and sort of close that out. But for like maybe five to seven eight years maybe i still had this question in my mind on whether i want to come back or or whether i want to stay here and it, and of course at that time we i mean we are folks of our vintage i mean talk born lucky in terms of the of the timing because the internet is exploding and you i mean there's so much growth and prosperity effectively happening in tech i mean it was it, it, it that must have made it easier to a certain degree to have so much opportunity in front of you. Uh, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, I'm not sure if I thought that way back then. Again, I was, I was a kid, uh, you know, I was a kid in a, in a you know, a brand new environment. Um, and I was like, I was just going with the flow to a degree um, without like right now I'm, I'm thinking about my career in, in a very specific way. Like what do I want to achieve? Where do you want to go next? What's going on in the world? What's going to be cool, you know, three years from now, five years from now. Um, back then it was like, Oh, you know, I like to, you know, I like writing programs. Like I, I like software. I like to write it. What is it that I can do? What is it that I can write? Um, and I, I pretty much started to work. Uh, very, very quickly. Uh, first, as, as I was in school full time, I started to work part time, but then I very quickly shifted, reversed it, right? I worked full time and school was part time. Um, I was just writing software and I was so happy doing it. Um, not much mattered beyond that, <laughs> honestly. I just, I, that, I just wanted uh... to write more cool software. That's such a great time of life, I think. Um, so, and then you are, family is still back in Ukraine at this point. You get, kind of go through this period of like, maybe I'll go back, maybe I won't. Um, and then I, I guess, well, well, one question I definitely have is like, you know, fast forwarding to, to 2014 in terms of, of uh, um, and, and, and if that's too much of a leap, let me know. But um, with, did you still have family in in Ukraine and um, I mean that must have been um, obviously your your first hint that that Ukraine was gonna was really vulnerable. Maybe that was not a surprise to to you at all. So um, yes, that was. So I, I still have my my family is still there. So my parents are still there. My wife's parents are still there, um, uh, and they were there. And 2014 was very tough so what we used to do is like every summer we would take our kids to their grandparents um to uh to to dnipro and they would spend the entire summer with their grandparents and by the way this is how they learned uh russian 
very well is by spending summers in there. And they, they were forced, like, the grandparents would not understand English. They go to the store, people would not understand English. Like, they had to, nice. they, they had to you know, be fluent in the language. And they actually speak very well. A lot of people are surprised when they hear that our kids were born here. But they, uh, so my son has his youngest, he has a little bit of an accent. My daughter is, is pretty much, you know, no accent in, in how she speaks. Um, and, and they're both very, very fluent. Um, all of that is because we were sending them back to Ukraine to spend summers. Now, that was the sum, the first summer that we did not send them to Ukraine. <laughs> uh, we, wow. Yeah. Touch the bullet. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and um, um, it was it was scary. Um, it was not you know not clear what was what was happening at all. Um, but thankfully, at that point, um, it was just the you know just part of the country got involved not the entire country into into what was happening right right uh, and did you have because i mean we at the time i don't know if Adam, if you did but we, i mean we had a ukrainian team um in 2014 and we we were in, engaged with a contractor who had a ukrainian team we did not directly mm-hmm. and um I, I mean they were almost apologetic like oh you know we may not be able to work tomorrow because of the war it's like uh you should like don't don't worry <laughs> take, about work take the day uh, off right? take the, yeah exactly like i sorry i didn't really, like what's going on with the war i mean i just felt like it was i i it was so distant but then you begin to realize that like wow this is the the, the war in the crimea was very close to home for a lot of these folks did you have people in tech that you were working with yeah. In, in Ukraine at the time? Yeah, so 2014, uh, we, uh, I already started my first company. Uh, so that was SmartLang. Uh, it's a translation localization management platform. Um, and we had a team. We had a fairly large team uh, in, in Ukraine, in uh, Dnipro. I think right around that time, we also opened the second office in Kiev. Um, but yeah, we had like, Two thirds uh, of my team was in Ukraine. So, wow. so what we've done at that point, and I, you know, this is another thing that I remember that I remember very clearly, is uh, we've we were doing planning on how to evacuate the team. Uh, we actually had buses on standby, uh, sort of ready to pick up people and take them to Western Ukraine. Um, and there was like, there was a lot of uncertainty around that time into, into what was, what was happening. So Crimea was taken without pretty much a single shot. So what you could say is that Ukraine was not ready to defend its land at all. Huh. Um, and Russia had its own military bases in Crimea uh, for the Black Sea, um, uh, sort of around the all, all the all of their Black Sea forces, Navy forces, um, and they pretty much like 
within, I think, a couple of days, took the entire Crimea over. Um, and, and that was it. And they, um, and, and they stopped there, right? So there was some um, sort of, there was some fights around Mariupol but they did not go. So Mariupol is very close to this, uh, oh, uh, to, to like when you, when you cross Crimea into the sort of the mainland, um, Mariupol is, is sort of right, right there. Um, and uh, so this was one of the contested cities, but they, Russia did not go that far back then. Um, so, uh, and then, uh, the, the, so the, the, uh, Crimea is, 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 is part of the issue, right? So it was never accepted as part of Russia, um, by, so no one, no, I, I, I don't think any countries or maybe just a few countries sort of accepted as being part of Russia, but it's still considered to be Ukraine, uh, territory. Uh, so it's going to be interesting what's going to happen with this war. So when we're going to fast forward into what, what is happening now, uh, I, I think there is a political will to get all Ukraine territories back. Yeah. So speak to that a little bit, because so in 2014, you said that like there wasn't the willpower or there wasn't the, the maybe the readiness or maybe it was so shocking. Clearly, there is that willpower now what in 2014 did people think to themselves they're going to come that this is going this advance is going to continue and we need to kind of mentally prepare or how how has that change happened right so um back then i i don't think ukraine had its own i it kind of had and it kind of did not have its own identity um, and it definitely did not have its, its, its army. It sort of had the army, but it was not equipped. It was, it was, it, was, it wasn't in a, in any way, shape or form to actually fight. Um, and I think a lot of that happened since 2014. So by, by the way, Crimea was not the only problem in Ukraine that Russia introduced, right? So. There is, uh, they, they did, two, they, they sort of separated two different republics on the east of the country. So if you guys have a map in front of you, if you looked at the east, eastern part, there is uh, Luhansk. And um, it's like, it's, and, and Donetsk. So all that area sort of was separated. Let's see what Google shows. And and this is not that I mean Dnipro is effectively on the border of one of the of, of one of those regions, right? Yes, Dnipro is on the border of of those regions exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. So um, essentially, like two cities, Lugansk and Donetsk, they were sort of uh, they they. Uh, they were kind of separated, announced that they're their own republics, all sponsored by Russia, obviously. Uh, and they, they would put puppet government 
in there and ever since so Crimea and those two regions were like Crimea is part of Russia and there's there's two different regions they're like Palestine and Israel essentially this is how this is what Russia did with them very militarized um, um, with you know a ton of propaganda in there most people who were in there who were you know people who would who were thinking about stuff, right? They left, um, they they went into other cities. A lot of them went to Kiev, um, but they sort of were sitting there um, as, as sort of a two different republics. So that was 2014. That was the- In 2014. And so, I mean, you obviously had, you've got your, uh, your, you know, you're looking after your team and, you know, uh, you're obviously looking after your own kids and not going to send them to the summer to their grandparents because you're concerned about their safety. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling at that time in terms of, I, I mean, did you have any ambivalence or were you just like, this is, this is, wait, wait, what was your feeling at the time about, about all of this? It's very destabilizing, clearly. It was... You know, it was it was very scary, uh, for for sure. Um, but it was different from what's happening now. Back then, it was sort of more localized. Uh, right. I, I wasn't sure that it was it. You know, it would not expand beyond those regions. Um, and there was Crimea was sort of we just we just gave up on it. The government just gave up on it. There was no way we could do anything in there. Now, those two regions on the east, uh, we were fighting. Uh, but Russia did not, was not ready to enter as Russia, right? They pretended that it yeah. was not them. They pretended that it's like local farmers are raising up and they don't want to be part of Ukraine. So there was a lot of that, right? Russia was not committing full their full sort of military might into this. They were semi, semi-pretending that it's not them. And, you know, you obviously grew up Russian-speaking in Dnipro. Your parents are clearly Russian-speaking. The, it, I think it sounds like part of Russia's calculation was, oh, this, this Russian-speaking minority in Ukraine identifies themselves more as Russians than as Ukrainians. But, you know, you're using the first person plural when you talk about Ukraine. So you clearly identified as Ukrainian during this. I mean, it sounds like it was kind of the beginning of a Russian miscalculation with respect to, is that, is that a, a correct inference? Um, I think, you know, I, I, I think Ukraine society, Ukraine as a country, Ukraine as its Ukrainian people, was really formed after 2014. I think I would credit Putin with hmm. with forming Ukraine and hmm. Ukraine with its, Interesting. with its own identity. Because like, keep in mind, for whatever, 70-something years under Soviet Union, Ukraine was just a part of Soviet Union, right? It was... Uh, it, it was that you did not have it, it kind of had a little bit of its identity, but very, very little. Ukrainian yeah. as a language was discouraged. You you sort of had to speak Russian. Russian was the, the language to, to speak everywhere, uh, the government language and so forth. Um, so people lost the identity. 
And then it was sort of in flux after the Soviet Union broke uh, broke out, right? And then, and then after 2014, this is when it really gelled this identity for Ukrainians. That is really interesting. Yeah. And I, cause I, I, re- I really wondered about that because, I mean, I mean, and, and from your personal perspective, you must have been like, I mean, obviously, you know, Dnipro is home. You know, I'm sending my kids there. It's important to me that, that my kids speak to, to, you know, my parents or that they speak Russian. But like, I, I mean, you must have been like, I don't know, like Ukrainian was also like the thing I like screwed up my junior year in trigonometry or whatever, calculus, mm-hmm. you, you know. You must have had some kind of ambivalence, but then that ambivalence is kind of sandblasted off by this catalyzing event where it's like, oh, okay, that's who we are. That, um, that's, and- that's exactly right. It's like it, like, it was annoying for me to switch to Ukrainian. It, it was like, I didn't want to do it. Um, and, and then in, in school, right? But after 2014, this is how like everyone went like, holy shit, we're Ukrainians. Yeah, interesting. Um, wow. And, and I'm sure for some people it was earlier, for some people it was later, whatever. But it really galvanized everyone sort of into this into this Ukrainian identity. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so then, because I think that then the period from kind of 20, 2014 to 2022, clearly this is a top of mind issue for Ukrainians, but kind of out of mind for the rest of the world. I feel like the rest of the world's like, I don't know, Chechnya kind of settled out. Everyone's kind of turning a blind eye to it. And, but there's this escalation that is clearly happening. And Ukraine, I mean, this is the reason that Trump is impeached because he's trying to screw up a weapons deal that the Ukrainians desperate, as it turns out, boy, the Ukrainians were really prescient about like, no, we desperately need these javelins and, and other anti-tank guided missiles that were, all Trump was trying to connect to political favors. And this is the reason he was impeached. So, but this must have been very front of mind for Ukrainians that this is a a real danger that is brewing in Russia. So, you know, what's interesting, Um, it it is, I'm going to say that it was not, Hmm. right? So I think there there were a few people. So Ukraine definitely, definitely started to build the army. started to, you know, they, they started to finance the army the right way. Um, I'm, I, I think the level to which Ukrainian army gotten in, in those, you know, eight years is just remarkable. Like, I, I wasn't aware that all of this was happening, frankly. Um, mm. We sort of, after 2014, it sort of settled down. Everyone got used to new reality. Like, there was still problems on the east of the country we needed to defend that because there were it's like again it's like israel and 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 palestine right there were always something is 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 happening um so we needed to make sure that the uh we we had a strong army this is this is one of the stronger points right now uh because we're well armed um and with with good presence in that particular direction um but but sort of you know, sort of that, it sort of kind of was out of sight, out of mind for most Ukrainians. Like I've been to Ukraine countless times. Like when you're in Dnipro, when you're in Kiev, like you don't feel that there are problems uh, on the, you know, eastern part of the country at all. 
people hmm. people go do their business ton of investments you know ton of like uh there is so much construction build new buildings going on in kiev in dnipro this is where i spend the most time but other other cities as well ukraine is a democracy uh for sure the we are electing our own presidents uh we do our own revolutions when we don't like those presidents or when they you know there's too much corruption (laughs) um you know we are ukraine has a lot of problems with corruption for sure Uh, it's it's sort of the micro democracy sort of an oligarchy uh and that's a huge problem uh, a huge huge problem um in in the country but it's our country right? right and and we do what people think needs to be done including revolutions including electing the presidents that we want to elect and 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 so forth it's a free country um i to a degree even sort of was this uh, COVID years, and I have to be careful understanding that I'm in California and the mindset of most people here. But <laughs> like when I when I went to uh, you know when uh, after after COVID year when I went back to Ukraine, it's like you know it, it's complete freedom. Like you can do whatever the hell that you want to do. Like, <laughs> no one no one cares. No one does any mon- mandates or whatever. Um, a lot of a lot of businesses grew up. Um, I, I, I think the country was, was, was all these problems. And, I, you know, there are a lot of problems, as I said. But the country was it's a great country. It was one of the most interesting, and I hope still is, one of the most interesting destinations for tourism. It was inexpensive, <laughs> uh, relatively inexpensive, with just amazing restaurants, stores, uh, a lot of history. So it's like it, it's an amazing European destination. I actually recommended everyone to go and explore Ukraine because it's just it's just really, really interesting destination for for tourists. It's like a gem that people don't know about. Um, and at this at this point, how frequently are you going to Ukraine? I mean, are you, you still have, do you still have a team over there or did you have a team over there? Yeah. So my entire career, uh, I have teams um, in, in Ukraine and I'm working right. with Ukrainian engineers. So um, I usually I would go like three to four times a year. Um, you know, I would visit my parents. I, w- I would go on business, do business stuff and, and then go visit my parents. Uh, so pretty often. And and often in Dnipro or Kiev as well. I mean, with are you? Yeah, I would, yeah okay. So a lot of it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would fly to Kiev. I would spend time in Kiev. Then I would fly to Dnipro, spend time there, go back to Kiev. So I, I, yeah, those two sort of cities that I would spend the bulk of my time um, over there. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. And then so okay. Then at what point is it beginning to dawn? Because I, I feel like. It was only towards the end of 2021 that this began to pop up, at least on my radar screen, of like, wow, there is this is some seriously bad news happening on the border. I mean, is, had there been uh, had there been warning signs long in advance of that? Or, so, that, so Russia started to accumulate their military forces along the entire border, and it's a huge border. There's a lot of border between Ukraine and Russia. Um, not only they started to accumulate their forces along that border, 
uh, it's Belarus as well that was overflowing with Russian forces. Now, of course, they've explained, they said, no, we're not going to attack. This is going to be, you know, just, uh, whatever the military, uh, what do you call it, like military games, whatever that, that they're doing, um, training, military training exercises, joint military training exercises with like Belarus. Um, and then, so they started to accumulate a lot of, a lot of armed forces in there. So um, what happened then is, and, and I'm sure sort of the politicians would probably realize this sooner than everyone else. We're like, it's 2022 out there. They are not going to attack Ukraine was, you know, a typical World War II style war. Right. <laughs> Ukraine is Europe. And by the way, so let me let me talk about Ukraine in terms of what it means uh, for a second, because I'm not sure people fully realize what Ukraine is. So Ukraine is part of Europe. It's a European country. It's the largest European country. Right. So Russia is not considered to be a European country. because It's in, it's in Europe and Asia at the same time. Uh, Ukraine has 44 million people. Russia has 144 million people. Um, so as I mentioned, Ukraine is a democracy um, and it's protecting its right of freedom. Russia is not a democracy. Russia has Putin for like more than, I think more than 20 years that he is uh, at, at you know, power. Uh, Ukraine is fully aligned to what's called Western values. It wants to be a part of the European Union. Um, um, some some interesting uh, parts of, of this is Ukraine can meet the food needs of 600 million people. Mm. Uh, it for, it, it's first in Europe in terms of, I think it's called like arable land areas. It's like uh, where you can do agriculture. Third place in the world by the area of black soil. Black soil is the best soil to grow stuff. So it's, we're talking about 25% of world's volume of black soil is Ukraine. Um, first place in the, uh, in the world, expert of sunflower and sunflower oil. Second place in the world for barley production and fourth place in barley exports. Um, fourth largest exporter of corn in the world. Um, fourth largest producer of potatoes in the world, fifth largest rye producer in the world, uh, fifth place in the world in bee population, uh, a lot of wheat exports. There is a lot of ore, uranium, titanium. It's like literally like the first in Europe uh, in reserves of uranium. Uh, second place in Europe uh, in terms of uh, titanium ore. Um, what else is, is in here? Second largest iron ore reserves in the world. Um, uh, second place in Europe in terms of mercury uh, and so on and so on. It's, it's, a, uh, it's an economic powerhouse uh, from, from, you know, from, from, those, from those standpoints. Uh, you know, very powerful industries are built around this, like around titanium, iron, um, um, uh, sort of stuff, stuff like that. Um, so that that gives you a little bit of a sense of, of sort of 
why it matters, why markets are very jittery right now. Like, guys, the food is getting more expensive, <laughs> for sure. There is no way around it. Russia is not selling its food, and Ukraine, especially Ukraine, is not selling its food right now. Um, so uh, all of that is going to get more expensive. Now, the scary stuff, Ukraine has 15 active nuclear reactors located at four uh, nuclear power plants spread across the country, right? And uh, plus four decommissioned reactors at Chernobyl. Um, so that's that's the scary part. It's sort of, it's a, it's a nuclear bomb that is that cannot be moved, right? Uh, but it could still be sort of blown up. And Andre, I mean, for all of these reasons, I mean, yeah. it, I mean, it is a, it's a vast country. It's, 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 I mean, it's, you know, bigger than France. It's got a, it's got a huge population, as you said, big, the biggest country in Europe. I mean, it must have been absolutely shocking to you, as it was, I think, to the world, that there was this incredible miscalculation that this could just, this country would just kind of roll over and that's clearly not what has happened. I mean, I, I assume you were pretty shocked. I mean, at what point did you kind of accept that the invasion was inevitable? Was it, was it, was it earlier than the rest of the world? So I did not believe that they would invade until probably a couple of days before the invasion. And then a couple of days before the invasion, it, it dawned at me. They're going to do it. Um, and the reason yes. that it dawned at me is that I started to look at, uh, at a lot of analytics about sort of Putin's mindset and where he is. So that's one. And two, uh, usually when, when you're doing sort of military forces training, you are not stocking it up with like fresh blood and, and like hospitals uh, right along the border, right? You're just doing the training exercises. And they were doing that. So those two things, a couple of days before the invasion, I went, holy shit, they're going to do it. Um, wow. And are your parents still in Nipro at this time? They're still in Dnipro. They're, they're still in Dnipro right now. Yes, they're in Dnipro now. Yes, yes. Oh my god. Yeah. So. Um, oh my god. So what's interesting is, uh, so I, I actually I left People AI. So People AI was my uh, last company where where it was um, ran engineering, but the uh, CEO of People AI, Oleg, he actually looking at what Biden was doing, and he actually has some um, uh, connections within the administration. Uh, people AI started to act a couple of months prior to invasion. So most folks uh, on people AI team, we actually got out prior to the war. Um, people who agreed to leave the country. Um, while I, I wasn't like, I didn't believe that they would do it, uh, but all the guys right. and, and good for him. So um, yeah, I, 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 did not, and a lot of people did not believe it to like at all until they, 4 a.m., they've launched the attacks across the entire border uh, and they bombed all major airports that they knew about with, um, uh, with uh, either with planes or with uh, precision missiles. 4 a.m., people walk up to explosions. Uh, in large cities, explosions around the airports, uh, and they and they entered the country. Wow, and I mean that it must have been. And this is only how it's been 
three weeks, four weeks. It's not been that long. Whatever it's 19, been. 19 days. 19 days. 19 oh, days. my God. Yes. And, I mean, you must be, it just, especially with, I mean, God, Mariupol, what's been happening. I mean, all of these cities, but it's just clearly the 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 targets are becoming, they are civilian targets or they're indiscriminate. So, I mean. The, yeah, so it's the, the, their strategy and tactics actually changed. So what they were hoping to do, and it's, it's ridiculous. It, it shows just. So it happens at some companies. There are some parallels to learn from. In some companies, um, when you look at the leadership, they're very disconnected with what's going on on the ground, right? When people report to them what they want to hear, this is what happened with Putin. For a long, long time, people reported to Putin what he wanted to hear. Um, and they, they sort of continue to report that it's going to be very similar to Crimea, that you know, Ukrainian people are going to meet the tanks with like flowers and welcome them into the country. That they're going to you know march through the country, get into the Kiev, topple the government, install their puppet government, uh, and they had like three days to do it, and that would be it. Um, and it's it's a fact. It's confirmed by the documents. It's confirmed by their strategy. It's confirmed by you know, who they brought in to a degree. So part of the force was the sort of, it's like National Guard. It's think of it as a police force. Um, and they were equipped to like, to prevent rallies in the country, right? To, to sort of prevent civilian rallies. Uh, and they were not quite ready for the military resistance that they've got from Ukrainian army. Yeah. So... The first three days, the strategy was, hey, we're going to get to Kiev, topple the government. That would be it. Sort of Crimea style. Guess what? And yeah. it's, so when that happens, uh, and Andre, you're also, you're breaking up just a little bit. I'm not sure if you're on a headset or if there's okay. a way to get a little closer to something. But just, um, I think I'm, you're holding us all transfixed, but you just, you are breaking up a little bit. But when that first happened, what is your thinking? I mean, obviously now you're, you mentioned that you know, 2014 was this real kind of uh, this real catalyzing experience for Ukraine. Are you thinking to yourself, this is going to be over in three days, or are you thinking that this is going to become what we have, what we have seen over the last 18, 19 days? So all the reports, and uh, including uh, you know, including U.S. intelligence, um, and probably including me as well, I'm like, holy shit, it's, yeah, it's going to be very quick or relatively quick, right? So I think a lot of people miscalculated this. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, so uh, Russian army is considered to be second most powerful army in the world after the United States. Um, so um, that was the expectations, the expectation it I, to a degree it was not unreasonable uh but like it was not unreasonable for me putin should have known better right so uh so the resistance that they've got was like completely completely unexpected his strategy did not work now the first three days they spared the civilians they did not touch the civilians clearly they had instructions not to you know, n not to like touch civilians at all. 
right? Now, after the first three days, when it became absolutely clear that their strategy did not work, their plan did not work, they, there is no way they can get Kiev. They did not get a single major city, not a single major city. 19 days in, they don't have a single major city in the country. Um, so it's clear that they are losing, losing, right? They're not, we're still, it's still super hard for Ukraine. Um, they're killing a lot of civilians. Um, a lot of civilians. I mean, it is so, it is, and I mean, I know that like we want to look away from this, but it is so, it is so disconcerting where, I mean, the, and the, the images that are coming out are are so disturbing and this is this isn't war this is these are civilian targets being deliberately targeted exactly and yes i mean there's there's no other and i mean at some point i mean clearly i mean jesus hearts and minds clearly at some point they're like oh well you know what fuck it we're actually not going to we want to take everyone that is potentially on the edge of this conflict and turn them into an enemy. I mean, I've just got to believe that there are plenty of people inside of Ukraine who are like, I don't know, I, I you know, and especially, I, I, mean, I don't know, I mean, you, you obviously got a lot of connections over there. And maybe after 2014, this wasn't true. But it's like anybody who, who uh, had any sort of ambiguity about this, that ambiguity was extinguished once they started actually turning their arms on civilians yeah absolutely yeah so three days in they've changed they've changed this right they said fuck it go after the civilians um so it was uh by, by the way how's my sound it, it's better i think it's better okay good i'm just trying to stay closer to to my to my phone um yeah so uh they they clearly changed the strategy and uh they're trying yeah, again, as I said, not a single city was taken. Um, now, I started to learn about like military strategy and tactics as part of this. I, by no stretch of imagination, like I am an expert in all this. But the, <laughs> um, essentially, what, yeah. what, what's happening in the country, and it's still, it, it, like, it's going to be super hard for Ukraine. A lot of people are going to die, still going to die. But because he couldn't do anything in three days and he still cannot do anything, uh, you know, in 19 days, he's going to try very hard one more time. So there's this push that is coming within days. Um, um, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen. Um, but I, at this point, I, I think Putin lost. Uh, in Ukraine... Uh, even if Zelensky, so by the way, Zelensky is an amazing leader. Uh, a lot of people did not like him. He is, yeah. I, I think he's one of the best leaders. I, I, you know, some people compare him to Churchill at this point. Uh, yeah. He's leading this resistance and he is, he and his government, everything, communication, um, you know, how he talks to his own people, how he talks to the world leaders. Uh, and, and so forth, and all this exceptionally well-organized resistance is just incredible. Um, it, it's been extraordinary. I mean, honestly, to, it, it, just the, the level of courage, personal courage, and 
you know, the, the, the refusal to evacuate and the, it just, it's as an outsider, it's just, um, it's, it's stirring. It's amazing. Well, yeah. and especially as a, as a political novice, relatively speaking. He is. Yeah, right. Yes, absolutely. Um, he was playing in movies. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. He was playing the president, actually. Uh, I'll, I'll take I'll take that. Give me that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess all, all that training was was pretty good, I guess. <laughs> but he's exceptional. Uh, he's truly, truly exceptional. Um, and I, I think we're fortunate to have a to have a president like this. So anyway, oh by the way, one one thing that I wanted to mention. One of the reasons that I did not believe uh, uh, that that Russia is going to attack, even though uh, Biden and sort of the administration here was yelling and screaming everywhere that this is coming. Um, the reason that I did not believe this is because they were screaming and they were doing exactly nothing. Zero. Yeah, they were just screaming. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, is this a political thing? Like, why? Like, they probably benefit from this. It's like, hey, don't look at the economy. Look here, Ukraine-Russia war, right? So it looked like that. Um, and I, um, and, and they, they could have done things. They could have started with sanctions before the war. They could have done things to prevent the war, yet they elected to scream about it and do nothing. So... Um, so back to the war and what's going on. So they've changed the strategy. They started to target civilians. Um, they're trying to sort of unite their forces on sort of multiple fronts. Uh, and this is why Mariupol is, is, is so critical to them. But they also kind of try to make a point. And they're, uh, it's a psychology warfare as well. They're trying to scare people. Um, and one way to scare people is to do the shit that they're doing in Mariupol that they did in Grozny, in Chechnya, that they did in, um, uh, what uh, what was the city called in Syria? Uh, Aleppo. Uh, in Aleppo. Aleppo. Yeah, in Aleppo. Aleppo. Yeah. It's the same strategy that Russians yeah. are using. They are, uh, they're killing the civilians. They're bombing the shit out of that city. That city pretty much doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and they would not allow civilians out and they would not allow water food and medicine in. Oh my God. Um, and are, and I mean, obviously, I mean, your parents are still in the thick of it in, in Dnipro. I mean, are you must be worried sick about just not just for the country, but clearly personally. Yeah. We're, we're all worried now. Dnipro right now being in the middle of the country so far, there was no fighting in there. Uh, there were a couple of explosions. So the first day they blew out the airport um, and then uh, a couple of days back, they uh, they blew up. It's not clear what what they even targeted. Uh, it's just some factory, uh, which is not related to anything. Um, but uh, the city was largely spared so far. There is there is food. It's it's functioning, right? There is food. There is like stores are open, businesses are somewhat working, um, and it's ready. It's ready for war. Um, but it was spared so far. Now the um, the fighting is happening like forty miles away from the city, like forty sixty miles. So it's not far from it. Um, but so far it was spared. I hope it's going to stay this way. Um, 
we cannot move our parents out. They're too old. They, they, right. it's, it's hard. It's like people are making this, uh, to get to the border, it's like four days of travel. It's very treacherous. Uh, it's not clear whether you can get gasoline along the way. There's literally no space to like, you know, there are no hotels, no nothing, right? You can't even take a break. Um, you know, it's, it's very hard on older folks. So well, I mean, I, I feel it's like, I mean, you just think about, you know, assuming that, you know, your parents are the, the same, you know, same age as roughly, you know, my parents are, are at a, it's like our, our parents are at an age where it's like basic stuff can be a challenge, let alone fleeing a war zone across a, you know, in, in a, a vast and war-torn country. I mean, it's like, oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 there are no bridges, pretty much. It, it's just it's uh, um, it, it's a it, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to make that trip. It's difficult for young people, and it's close to impossible for older folks. Uh, Andre, are you are you able to communicate with them? So, what's interesting about this war is that the all the communication is pretty much spared. Uh, and the reason I think is that Russians need this communication uh, to work as much as Ukrainians. They actually, it, 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 it sounds very ridiculous, but they don't have their own uh, sort of military communication systems. Um, they, they've invested a lot of money uh, in their satellite communication stuff, and yet it doesn't work. Well, this is typical for Russia, right? So all the money got stolen. Um, and shit was presented, but it doesn't really work. So uh, they they need it, and therefore it's being spared. Now, the way that it functions actually is on the areas that are under Russian control. It's our telecommunication companies, Ukrainian telecommunication companies. So they keep the uh, they keep the connections going, but they reduce it to like two G or whatever whatever the speeds are. And this way, uh, Russians. It, they are encrypted communications that they have that rely on 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 cellular networks. They don't work because it's too low bandwidth. That's really interesting. Uh, but it does allow for people to chat. It does allow to sort of send, uh, you know, images uh, and, and 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 so forth and, and some videos. So the the networks are spared. This connectivity pretty much across the entire country, with with you know with with some exceptions. And are you? I, I gotta ask, how are your kids? Are your kids? How how do they feel about this? They must be. I mean, extremely upset. Are they? Um, where do they land on all this? Just thinking about my own teenagers. Yeah. So my kids are sixteen and eighteen. My son, who's sixteen, he it doesn't really. I, I, he doesn't understand. Um, like he listens to whatever is going on with us. He sort of gets it. He sort of doesn't. And I, you know, I remember myself when I was sixteen. Like, I'd like, right. I, I, I wouldn't have a care in the world. I mean, the, Andre, you were the guy that heralded the end of the Cold War by watching Hollywood videos. So I mean, you got to understand that a little bit. I guess I, that, that that perspective. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my daughter understands a lot, so she's eighteen. Um, and um, what actually hits her hard is, um, you know, more than anything else is looking at us 
and and how we react and and therefore you know i'm trying to stay like super strong super positive um uh, it, it's harder for my vibe to sort of keep composure at times and that that's what's that's what's hitting her hard yeah right so in terms of i mean you know, and obviously the kind of getting finally an hour and nine minutes in getting to the headline of the space. But I do want to talk about like how we in tech can, can help in Ukraine. Sandra, you had a bunch of good ideas for the CTO group on concrete things that people can do to, to help. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, Brian. Um, so uh, Guys, I, I think what's going on with Russia right now is that it's being sanctioned. It, it's it's the most sanctioned country in the world at this point. Companies are leaving in, in droves. It's like everyone is stopping doing business with Russia. Um, and at first, uh, there was a lot of effort to get companies to get there sooner and accelerate the momentum. Um, I think at this Uh, we lost you for a second. Uh, yes, it shows. It, it, okay. I lost my Wi-Fi. Oh, that's actually much better. It sounds much better, though. Okay. Hold on. Let me... Something was happening with my Wi-Fi. Okay, I'm going to stay there. And it showed 5G, so I'm going to stay there. All right. So, um, uh, yeah. So, a lot of companies as well, Russia, uh, or I'm doing business with them. So, it's great. Uh, still, going to have this. Official statement of support. The more visibility we into what's going on. Personally, and on the company level, action will help. It's it has their efforts. It you could you could donate the army. Now it's not going to be tax deductible, but there are places available where you could do directly that or. There are a number of not-for-profit organizations where it is tax-deductible, where it's mostly humanitarian efforts. Uh, I, every- hey, Andre, yeah. I apologize for inter- interrupting. Um, I ch- like the you're, you're getting compressed or artifact or something, and I checked earlier. It was just on the speaker call, but I just checked the recording, and, and you're really cutting in and out. I don't know if there's anything um, you can do on your All own. Right, let me see. I'm, I'm going to try to do Wi-Fi again. Let me, give me a second. Sure. Sorry about that. Sorry, folks. It's such an embarrassment. I mean, <laughs> I, I, the, it's like it's like no one's fault. Like I get it. Like it's not, it's super complicated. You got a lot oh, of different okay. software stacks. Can, like, you, guys, can it, you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah, it seems better. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, Brian, especially oh, like when this happens in San Francisco, you're like, this isn't this supposed to be company? Uh, you know, the city supposed to be good at tech. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, when I moved to Silicon Valley from New Jersey, I was surprised how bad the seller networks were. The irony is that you really broke up while describing <laughs> how bad it is. When I moved to Silicon Valley, <laughs> Valley. dot, dot, dot. <laughs> right, garble, garble, garble. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Um, it looks like both. It looks like I have some sort of Wi-Fi problem um, and and uh, uh, seller network problem. Is that? Can you still hear me or... Yeah, we yeah, can. it seems better. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. So let's hope it, it holds for a few more minutes. Uh, but bottom line, please donate. Uh, please, please, please. Every dollar helps. 
there's a lot of humanitarian efforts that are going on. Uh, it's it's people are struggling. It's 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 really bad in there. Uh, Andre, where where do you recommend donations going? Like what what have you, what in your research it seems to be the most effective? Yeah, so um, uh, there the um, there are a lot of organizations that are working on the ground, but there are organizations that are directly Ukraine specific. So one organization that I recommend in particular it is not for profit here in California, in Silicon Valley. It's called Nova Ukraine, uh, and like Nancy O V as a Victor A NovaUkraine.org. Um, this is you know that your money is directly applied to ukraine humanitarian efforts if you donate there um and then last thing that i want to say please support first if you have any ukrainian engineers working with you please support them if they elect to defend uh to defend the the country please support them please continue to pay salaries to them uh it's 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 important uh and on the other hand please support ukrainian businesses um it's very important to keep the economy going. And I know that people are super dedicated. I know that people are working from bomb shelters in like Ukraine and in, uh, in, in Kiev and, and Kharkiv. People are delivering on their deadlines and their commitments. So the, yeah. this, this would be the summary. Now, again, if you have an opportunity to make any effect on um, politicians, please do. Um, Given the atrocities that is happening, um, I am of a mindset that United States and NATO should enter and stop it. It's inappropriate. It shouldn't happen in 2022 in Europe specifically. It 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 shouldn't. It is it is so again it, and watching these apartment buildings being targeted or hospitals and maternity wards. And, you know, I feel like there's, and I know I'm glad you asked about like the specific nonprofit to support because I do, I mean, we all know that information is, is, is a weapon that's being used in, in this conflict. And I mean, Andre, you must've been aghast at some of the, and you would call it ham handed propaganda, but, you know, accusing, you know, these photos of, you know, these women from a, a, a bombed maternity ward, as being actresses, yeah, um, I, it, which is just it's. It, I mean, it's just it's so shocking. I mean, I, I I think you know what I I I you begin to feel, and I mean, obviously we've seen this in other conflicts that and where, where where civilians become targets, and then you know powers deny it. But I I feel like more viscerally with Ukraine, you do feel what it was like in you know, 1939 and 1940. I mean, it is, it, 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 where, you know, people are choosing to willfully turn a blind eye to something that is obviously happening in front of them. And I, I'm, I'm glad you asked Adam about the, about the nonprofit because it's it, with so much disinformation and misinformation out there, it can be hard to know like, okay, wait a minute. I don't want to be, I want to make sure that I, I, I want to make a difference and I want to make sure that it's going somewhere where it's going to make a real impact. And Andre, have you talked to other uh, other folks that have had uh, Ukrainian teams? Because I, I feel like, honestly, I mean, a bit of an elephant in the room is I, I feel that 
Ukraine has always been viewed as a way to save a lot of money for companies. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like, hey, if you're a company that has been um, getting great bang for the buck by Ukraine, Ukraine has really benefited your company and your software development organization. I think it's kind of time for you to, to, to pay some of that back. And Andre, you were saying one kind of one concrete thing that folks can do is continue to pay salary to Ukrainian engineers. Um, and and I, I certainly hope that companies are continuing to do that. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I, I'm not sure if it's me or you, but I'm, I'm, I'm losing you time to time. So hopefully I'm coming across clear right now. Um, uh, the uh, you you are absolutely right, um, and and this is one of my huge huge requests, especially especially the uh, folks that are defending their land right now. If you worked with them, please 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 continue to support them. Uh, this would mean a lot to them, a, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, Andre, how is your team faring? I mean, clearly some evacuated and clearly some are, are staying. I mean, how, how are they doing? So People AI in particular, uh, the bulk of the team was uh, uh, evacuated outside of the country prior to the war. Um, so that was executed pretty well, um, I would say. And uh, the, uh, the company continues to operate without any interruptions or anything anything like that um we do support our folks that are in ukraine right now uh one of them one of our engineers actually went to he joined the uh it's called the territorial defense um you know and he's fighting for his country um and we are the company supporting him um uh, we have a fundraiser, actually, and you need to find it uh, on, on uh, somewhere on People AI site, um, where we are actually raising money to support him and his union directly. Um, but in, and obviously, you know, we continue to pay his salary and, and, and so forth. Um, the rest of the folks who are still in the country, as I said, they uh, got to safer, to safer uh, parts of the country and they continue to work. Um, and, um, this is what, oh my God. this is what people do, you know, they, um, it, yes, it's war, but, um, the economy needs to continue to be healthy, right? And the economy yeah. needs to continue to work no matter what. Um, so, you know, obviously we don't, for, for people who are still in Ukraine, like there are no like demands for them to deliver anything like they could take time off they could do whatever um nobody's forcing them to work um but they do because it's I, I think to a degree it's helpful to them it's it's a degree of normalcy uh yeah but, but also uh what's important is and it's it's it, it, supporting life as usual and you know getting the economy going is, is like incredibly important so I, i'll give you another example from a different company so it's a women-led company actually most of them are like i think 36 people there most of them are women it's a recruiting company uh actually pretty good recruiting company they were recruiting all around the world prior to the war uh they most of them relocated 
um, out of where they were. So it's people in Kharkiv, people in Kiev. Um, at first, they were, again, working from bomb shelters. Um, then they sort of took their kids and, and they fled uh, into the uh, western uh, part of the country and into the Europe. Um, and, you know, 70% of their business is gone. Um, and I am helping them right now to sort of reestablish and find more customers. And they are, they're working. They're not slacking around. They're not crying. They just continue the work. And it's extremely important to continue to do that. Yeah, and continuing to support Ukrainian businesses, absolutely. Yes, uh, and and they're still they're still Ukraine based. They're still Ukraine based, right? They relocated yeah, to different right. cities. Uh, they're still Ukraine based. Uh, they're still paying taxes in Ukraine, um, and the second that it's safe to move back, they will. Yeah. Well. Well, and just you were saying about like you've got your team in Ukraine that's still like working still, you know, still like filing, you know, still fixing Jira tickets um, and just the need for normalcy. It reminds me of that. I remember the onion headline after nine 11, um, you know, there's that kind of onion went dark after several days after nine 11. And then they had the, onion, the, the headline nation longs to care about stupid bullshit again. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> which, which, which I always like, and I mean, like, sometimes the stupid bullshit can be very, it's normalcy, as you say, Andre said that, um, you know, I think knowing that folks can help by supporting that normalcy and supporting Ukrainian businesses is really is really helpful. And I, I, Andre, in terms of, I mean, I, I just got to ask. I mean, what do you feel is the end game here in Ukraine? I think like everyone's kind of, as you say, Putin has effectively already lost, certainly lost the hearts and minds. Um. Where's this going? Yeah, I, nowhere good. I, I think it's on everyone's mind. What's the end game for Putin? So Putin needs to explain this to their, um, you know, to their base at home, uh, and he needs to show that he's won, right? Somehow, something, but that he has won. Um, I, I, it, there needs to be a solution there. Now, from political standpoint in Ukraine, I don't think Zelensky is going to be able to do anything short of restoring the sort of original uh, borders of Ukraine, including Crimea, including all the, you know, so-called republics, uh, because so much has been lost. So many lives have been lost uh, as, that I don't think people would forgive anything short of that. Uh, so that presents a challenge and that needs to be negotiated. Um, uh, it, it's not clear to me how it's going to go, but clearly there's going to be more atrocities um, before uh, before that isn't negotiated. Now, can Putin take Ukraine? Uh, the answer is it's highly unlikely. Yeah, I mean, the answer to me seems like, clear. I mean, I, again, it just feels like obviously no, because you, you can occupy it for some period of time, but you're not going to be able to, that's not going to be persistent because you've, there's a. This is a nation that is very clearly not going to be suppressed. It's unwilling to to not be independent. Exactly. Yes, and uh, it's like it's guerrilla warfare. You know, supply lines are being attacked. Um, it's there's just there is no safe place in Ukraine for anything Russian. Um, yeah. So yeah. 
Yep. Well, Andre, th- thank you very much. I, you know, um, really appreciate you taking the time to, I, I it definitely to it, I, both your background and to, to learn the history, but I also um, to explain what, what we can do. Um, and I, I mean, obviously just hoping that, that you and your family and your team uh, and your country all stay safe during a, an incredibly dangerous time. Yeah. Um, thank you, Brian. Um, and thank you, Adam. And, and thank you uh, to everyone who was, uh, who was listening. Um, I appreciate it, guys and gals. Yeah, and 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 we'll obviously, Adam. I, I saw you already dropped the link to to Nova Ukraine, um, but that's a you know five hundred one c three. So that's a, a that's a great vector for those folks who are um, looking to push with dollars. But again, in tech, we've also got influence, and we can we can influence one another and influence people to treat their Ukrainian employees right. It, uh, influence folks to to. Uh, keep Ukrainian businesses alive. Andre, I thought that was a very good point. There's a lot of concrete things we can go do. All right. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Andre, thank you especially. Um, and I uh, hope everyone stays safe out there and hoping for a, a, a peaceful resolution to this thing. Um, and uh, importantly, a peaceful resolution that includes an independent Ukraine because it, it, this is a country that needs to stay free and independent. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you.